Hello, and welcome to the NVIDIA AI Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Kravitz. The keynote address at last month's GTC Europe in Munich, Germany, featured a deep learning demonstration perhaps unlike any other we've seen. A company called Cambridge Consultants demoed Vincent AI, an application that lets you pick up a stylus, sketch out a few lines on a screen, and watch in real time as your scribbles are turned into a work of art in one of seven styles drawing from the masters of art history. Joining me today to give us a peek behind the canvas, so to speak, of Vincent AI is Monty Barlow, Machine Learning Director for Cambridge Consultants. Monty, welcome and thanks for joining the podcast. I know. Thank you very much for inviting me. So let's start uh, with the basics. What does Cambridge Consultants do? Cambridge Consultants is a technology development house. Customers come to us with a technological problem, a need for help. Perhaps their competitor has taken their market share or they need to adopt a new technology or they have a legacy system that's going obsolete. And we develop them some technology, a product, a service or a system um, can help them into manufacture and give them typically a fairly strategic change to their business. And so what uh, industries, product segments do you generally work in? They're very varied. We group them into a few. There's uh, medical technology, that's things such as surgical and interventional, so patient care, um, drug delivery, inhalers, that sort of thing. Um, we do oil and gas and energy and industrial. Um, consumer, fast-moving consumer goods. Um, I personally have quite a background in telecommunications. We do quite a lot of wireless, many, many different markets. So from all the work that, that Cambridge Consultants does in big industries, oil and gas and medical and telecom you mentioned, you wound up on the GTC stage demoing an art history app, so to speak. How did Vincent AI come to be and how does it relate to the rest of the work you described? I'm sure. So one of the challenges for Cambridge Consultants is because we're doing strategic work for our customers, often quite disruptive, they don't wish um, us to talk about that work typically for many years. There are stringent confidentiality clauses in our contracts. So to be able to talk to people about our capability to open discussions about what's possible, we tend to invest in fairly technology or market agnostic demonstrations. As we don't work with people doing painting restoration, for example, Vincent is engaging to many and not threatening to any of our customers. So one of the neat things that happened at uh, the GTC Europe demo that we mentioned was NVIDIA CEO uh, Jensen climbed down from the stage, picked up the stylus and started sketching on the drawing tablet, uh, the Vincent drawing tablet. Um, do you find that Vincent inspires people to get a little more hands-on and maybe in turn kind of find out a little bit more about deep learning and how it works than some of the other demos that either you're doing or you've seen. Absolutely. I think part of it's the sheer fun of being in a team with an AI. A lot of the time we think of machine learning doing accurate classification. It spits out a judgment or an answer and you're not really sure why. And you don't engage at a very human level with it. But the fun of having Picasso and Van Gogh and all those others at your disposal and watching immediately as you start to draw your picture come to life does seem very compelling to people. 
And we've had really good feedback from artists who have looked carefully at the shading and the brush strokes and said, I don't understand how it's learned to color things like that. And I've said, well, <laughs> it's just learned from the paintings. It is putting those painters at your disposal. And this human plus AI rather than human just being replaced by AI really does seem to appeal to people. Makes sense. So how does Vincent work? That's a good question. Why don't I just start by describing a little bit of what it's like to use and then, then we can all dig into the technology a bit deeper. So what it's trying to do is to answer the question that if we locked up all of the painting masters, perhaps Renaissance onwards, in a room and forced them to collaborate on a painting with just the outline edges that the user draws, it tries to work out what painting those that team, that amazing team of experts would produce. So you draw on the graphics tablet with a stylus, just edges, hints of what you want. And from that, it tries to infer a painting. So if you do some wobbly horizontal lines, you're likely to get landscapes coming through. If you draw some facial features, um, faces may start to appear uh, and so on. And so how does it do it? And, and we can dive into the tech now. I have questions for you about generative adversarial networks and so on. But even just from a high level, is Vincent looking to match you up with a particular artist or, or period of art history? Or what are the inferences that go into filling out my squiggly lines into a beautiful landscape? Um, so the reason Vincent's different from pretty much any art demo we've seen is it's not doing techniques such as style transfer. So it's not detecting that your lines look a bit like a Picasso and then drawing a Picasso. It's not recognizing objects. If you draw a cat or a mountain, it's not explicitly looking for those. It's doing something more subtle. It's digested about 8,000 paintings, mainly Western art from Renaissance to current times, and built a map of those. It's sort of arranged it internally in its own virtual museum um, in an order so that like paintings are close to each other. And then when you draw, it's looking at the whole sketch you're producing and automatically bringing elements of those paintings it has trained on, learned, if you like, together. So you may get different artists effectively collaborating on your sketch, and that's something quite new. One of the notable things from a, a technology perspective about Vincent is your approach to combining different approaches to machine learning. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that? Sure. As you say, Vincent contains several different neural networks. In fact, during training, it contains seven. And this is something we see as the future. My simple analogy is that when we first invented a transistor and made it available in the 1950s, Everyone was very pleased. They could look and say, this is better than a valve you know, in most applications. But a single transistor by itself is quite a difficult and problematic thing to work with. Roll forward 15 years and you had little integrated circuits full of lots of transistors. If you look at the diagram, it would look more complex. But actually, for a circuit designer, for somebody using these things, they were more stable, predictable. They had built-in feedback and and just fewer of the problems you got with one transistor. So by analogy, much of what has happened so far in machine learning in, in the deep learning wave of 2006 onwards has been you know, one or maybe two networks combined at most. 
And to me, that's like those first transistors, impressive in, in their own right. But it's when you start to combine several networks together that compensate for each other's deficiencies, far more impressive results start to emerge. Um, that's what um, DeepMind, Google DeepMind did in AlphaGo originally, sort of three to four networks were combined there to great effect. Um, Vincent is one of the most complex systems we know of of its type. So it's a great analogy talking about uh, the initial move from valves to transistors and how wonderful and delightful and, and innovative that was. But then obviously the next step thinking, what if we put two or three of these things together? Looking now at doing the same thing with neural networks, uh, you described some of the advantages of, of using multiple networks together. But what were some of the challenges you faced in getting seven networks to work together in Vincent? It's all about getting several of them to train together at once. And frankly, it's a new world. There's far less information thinking in this area. There aren't benchmarks that tell you you're on the right line. So the reason Vincent's quite powerful is, for example, it combines a fairly classic generative adversarial network, which generates paintings with a super resolution network that can take a lower resolution output and enhance it to a higher resolution with brush strokes and other detail. What you want is that super resolution network on the end to optimally work with the output of the main generator. So the way to make it perform well, what we did in Vincent was you have to train the two of them together. It's called stacked training. One of my developers has the analogy, it's like balancing more broom handles on top of each other. You know, the, odd, the odds that it kind of veers off in the wrong direction early on is, is much, much higher. You've got to be far more careful about training. If you're not careful, you chew an awful lot of you know, compute time. But if you get it right, you get a far more comprehensive and, and flexible and robust network. And do you also gain the advantage of needing a smaller data set to train on? Sure. So for all, all of the fun of Vincent, one of the things that's really behind it, the reason we work in this technology is trying to make deep learning more accessible where people have perhaps medium-sized data sets. Um, so a typical application for us is looking at medical diagnosis and typically, if it's a rare disease, you won't have very many examples of the disease. You may have a lot of examples of somebody without the disease. Mm -hmm. So the problem comes, how do you make classic deep learning work? And these techniques using GANs can now synthesize and manipulate data sets in whole new ways. They can even invent examples that, when used with a conventional deep learning system, improve the accuracy of that system. That's why we work with the technology behind Vincent. So medium-sized specialist data sets is, is quite important if deep learning is going to have the wide impact that it can. So let's sh shift gears a little bit and talk about your background. Uh, as mentioned, you serve as the machine learning director for Cambridge Consultants, and your company is working on a wide variety of applications of, of deep learning. How did you get started? Is this something you knew as a kid you wanted to get into? Yeah, so I've been on and off and on again over the years. You know, my formative years were probably the 1980s, and I was transfixed by movies where 
children could talk to some computer or robot or spaceship. You know, there were films that probably don't stand the test of time, like Flight of the Navigator, but the idea of a, a little child crawling inside a, a spaceship and talking to it seemed quite magical. If you'd asked me age 10 what I most wanted, it would have been that robot or that spaceship to talk to. So I pursued that through into my degree at Cambridge University. I did a master's in AI and worked with problems of making robotics a bit more um, reliable and dependable. But at that point, AI was kind of entering one of its winters. Neural networks, as we all know, were not living up to the promise. And there was this kind of fallow period until 2006 when Jeff Hinton and his team kind of got big networks training well again, when I did other things. And I worked a lot in areas that involved high computation. So, for example, radio base stations, difference between second, third and fourth generation is the sheer amount of maths and signal processing taking place in the radio. And just as we realized that we'd pretty much solved the problem of radios. They weren't getting far more complicated and they were quite well understood. Deep learning started to take off again. And so I returned to my passion. And what surprised you, if anything, um, say particularly since you returned to working in deep learning, what surprised you about the field? What surprises me is how often I'm surprised, how often my preconceptions are wrong. Just a simple example. You know, one of the movies that fascinated me was Blade Runner, where the protagonist zooms in deeper and deeper into a photo, and it all seems impossible, and people laugh about this happening in various crime dramas and stuff to this day. But while we were practicing getting the super resolution bit of Vincent working, we found we could take a blurred photograph of a painting and zoom right in and see all the brush strokes and they weren't exactly the right ones, but they're entirely convincing. And a year or two ago, if you'd said to me, you can enhance this blurred image and produce this level of crisp, realistic detail, I would have said, you know, you were mad. And it's that kind of constantly feeling that what you thought you knew is wrong is what I find so appealing about the area. We're going to spawn a, a whole generation of... Uh... CSI Miami truthers with this podcast <laughs> saying, no, they actually can zoom in. I, I heard it. I heard Monty talk about it on the podcast. But that feeling of, of having your, your preconceptions constantly challenged and then sort of shattered and, and breaking through them is certainly something that draws people to this field of work. And it's great to hear about. So given that we never know what's coming next, and, and again, being respectful of the things that, that you can and can't talk about, um, what do you think the, the size or even shape of the opportunities you, you're starting to uncover with Vincent and stack training and the multiple networks working together, um, what do you think that looks like? What do you think, you know, five, 10 years hence deep learning might look like? So I think what's a fairly regimented and simple way of doing data science and deep learning is going to get completely shattered and overturned. So today, whether it's a team or individual, they will curate a data set, they'll develop a deep learning architecture, um, they'll train it, verify it, they may even need to explain how it works. But it's a fairly linear process with the data scientist in control if you like, of the whole process. When you look at these feedback circuits of multiple neural networks like Vincent, there's a 
able to produce new data sets and new representations themselves that are able to test and train each other and play off each other. Um, a, a generative adversarial network has an idea of a forger and a detective in it, and they're both trying to outwit each other. You can ask the question of who is actually doing the development and who's doing the testing and who, who indeed even is deciding what data to use when. So it'll mean big changes for how we work. As for the applications, I think we're just starting to get a feel for it. So Vincent, for all of the fun of using it, it what it's really able to do is translate between this world of squiggly yellow lines and the world of completely um, detailed artworks. Now that could be in the future, a, a medical application. It's able to take, to work with simple sensor data and infer a much more complicated set of um, symptoms or problems behind the scenes. So the way this new generative technology um, can translate between different domains, squiggly line or the painting, um, build representations um, is going to mean big changes for what deep learning can do. We're only able to guess at some example areas. We are seeing early um, possibilities, for example, as I mentioned in medical diagnostics, but in many areas too. It's going to build a whole new set of tools for working with data. Well, that makes me think about something you mentioned before in a couple of contexts uh, relative to not knowing you know, who, who the investigator, who the detective is, so to speak, or the, the two parts of the network outwitting each other. You mentioned both in, in the medical diagnostic realm of being able to, the system being able to even invent scenarios to, to further explore. And then with zooming in, the super resolution network being able to zoom in and, and sort of generate the brush strokes that even if they weren't 100% in the pixels themselves, they're, they're representative enough to work with. Is that a facet of this that may have some broad applications, this ability to kind of almost read between the lines and sort of infer what might be there? I think it, it definitely will. And there's the stages this technology can be deployed in, because there's obviously regulatory concerns, the safety concerns in, in many markets, and a, a simple, naive, I've invented some data using other data, and that's what I've entrusted my systems training with, doesn't sound very compelling to the guy in the streets. But one of the classic problems our customers can face is knowing whether it's worth investing in a large data collection exercise, when until they have that data, they don't know the potential benefits. So one of the early things we're doing with generative systems is being able to say, were you to have another million examples of data, this is how the system's performance would improve. You should still go and collect real ones, not just use synthetic data, but we can show you that, that kind of rewards, that, that payoff and how that'll work. But actually more exciting is the generation of real test cases, you know, allowing autonomous cars to, to train in the night and the day um, without having to capture footage of both the whole time. That, that kind of example that will make even today's deep learning far more potent. Oh, it's, it's fascinating stuff and so many angles of application as you touched on. Monty Barlow, if people want to find out more about the work you and your team are doing at Cambridge Consultants, where might they go? So for some of our fun research work, examples of Vincent's 
working, for example, if they go to digitalgreenhouse.ai, they can follow a link to a, a small but growing YouTube collection of videos. And our main sites, um, cambridgeconsultants.com, talks a bit about our work in machine learning. Well, congratulations again on the Vincent demo at GTC Europe and obviously all of the other work you're doing that um, no doubt will come to bear on the world at large in the years to come. And thank you again for joining us today. Thank you, Noah. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>